0: Hello and welcome to another audio version of Burnt Toast. This is a newsletter where we explore questions and some answers around fat phobia, diet culture, parenting and health. I am Virginia Soul Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma, diet culture, and I'm the author of The Eating Instinct and the forthcoming Fat Kid Phobia. And today I am delighted to be chatting with Allison Gerber, author of the critically acclaimed novels Focused, Braced, and most recently Taking Up Space. Allison, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to talk to you. I have followed your work for a long time. This is a real treat. So why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, I am a, as you said, I'm an author. I write middle grade books. So for readers eight and up and the adults who care about them. So teachers and parents, um, doctors, anybody who's interacting with kids of this age. Um, I really started to write for this um, this age group because I experienced a lot of Trauma right around sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I wore a back brace to treat my scoliosis, um, which was the beginning of my journey um, to body image struggles. And at the same time, I had undiagnosed attention deficit hyperactivity disorder (ADHD). And I cover those topics in my first two middle grade novels: "Braced," about scoliosis, and um, "Focused," mm-hmm. about a girl with un- a chess player with undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and taking up space is um, was really the the novel that I I pushed off um, writing because I knew how difficult and challenging it would be for me to dig into it. Um, I started writing it when I was pregnant with my daughter, and I had a a pretty significant disordered eating relapse, um, and I really wanted to talk about openly about what it feels like to struggle under under. The diagnosis. So mm-hmm. to really be facing food struggles and body image um, and not have a way to talk about it, um, I think it can become very complicated. And um, because there isn't a medical diagnosis for disordered eating, um, it becomes something that people don't talk about. And so right. when you don't talk, I'm always curious and interested in most of my books really cover the topics that um, that we'd rather brush under the rug because we're ashamed of them for whatever reason.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's such an important point that, yeah, I mean, what Sarah struggles with in the novel um, isn't necessarily what would meet criteria for a needing disorder, but it is really serious and really difficult and way too common. And yeah, you kind of give that, you're giving voice to that struggle, which I think we are all inclined to normalize or sort of, push away or think, you know, or have it reinforced by people in our lives, by diet culture, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I was curious because I knew the first two novels were very, you know, sort of personally inspired. So it sounds like taking up space, the sort of topic is, is something you've really dealt with as well. Are the, are any of the characters sort of drawn from your own life or was it more taking the issue and putting it into a fictional world? Um, It's
1: a great question. I For for all three of my books, actually, I really wrote the story of the main character from the heart of what I experienced. Mm So um, from sort of the ups and downs and the pain of feeling misunderstood and feeling alone and unsupported and confused about whether or not what I was going through was worthy of attention and deserving of even conversation Mm -hmm. um, and deserving of support and so i especially with taking up space i really drew on that experience um of, of being confused about what what is what are the rules of eating are there rules of eating um and how do you learn how to eat and feed yourself and sarah's journey to understand that she has all the tools she needs within herself um mm-hmm. by listening to her body um that really has been a lifelong journey for me and um so i took a you know an experience an emotional experience in the heart the emotional arc of the characters from my real life and the the plot of what happens to her as this incredible basketball player who's whose family identity really is, is surrounded is is about basketball i mean their whole family is she wants to be part of it and she wants to continue to play at an advanced level because it's so important to her identity that i is fiction i yeah. i never played Well, I was not a basketball star.
0: Oh, wow. Because you wrote about it. So I, okay, I am a complete non-athlete, so I can't say how authentic (laughs) it was, but it felt very authentic to me, like the sort of the team culture, the coach relationship, um, you know, and I thought you, you. you did such a nice job of... You know, I think this is something that a lot of parents with kids in sports struggle with is how body stuff gets handled in sports. And, you know, we kind of think about it a lot with like gymnastics or cheerleading, which are like very aesthetic based sports. But even stuff like basketball, there's so much emphasis on your body being a certain way to be good at the sport and the way Sarah was struggling with like, is my body changing and do I have to fix that in order to be good at my sport? I thought that was so, so important to articulate that struggle.
1: Thank you. I I actually purposely picked a sport that wasn't endurance or aesthetic because mm-hmm. I wanted because it is such a problem in, in all sports, um, and I wanted to really showcase that it's this is an issue that's impacting a big part of the population. It's not just you know what we consider sort of the stereotypes. So I wanted to right. get her to be outside of that um and i played sports in i it was i was sort of forced upon me this is sort of this is <laughs> one of those things where i went to a school where you it ha- was a required three seasons of sports and oh, i God. was not also not an athlete i was a, very much a bench warmer but i one of the things i took away and i brought that to brace as sarah as a soccer player and chess in a lot of ways is a team sport um and so there was something about being on a team that i loved like I loved the orange slices and I loved mm-hmm. like the cheering and I loved the like being there for your friends and wanting to win together. And, um, and so I really like, that is the one takeaway of like being forced to play sports was like really not great, but
0: <laughs> you had I'm able that experience. To- yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and I've been able to use it in a way that really benefits me now. And I that's one of the things I love about writing is you get to imagine you're good at something you are you really can't do it at
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I never played teams. I think I played field hockey for two days. Um, and then I was like, we have to run a lot at practice and I'm not going to do that. Although
1: oh, there are a lot of rules in field hockey. Oh, I played it's field just, hockey. Yeah. I was always, always in the wrong place. <laughs>
0: It was very stressful. Um I didn't I literally lasted less than a week on the team. Um and was like, nope, not for me. Um but I was a theater kid and so I can relate to that sense of like the group the the group experience of building something and like creating something as a team, like you have that in the, the theater world too. It's yeah. Um it is a really special experience. Um and definitely, yeah, the real strength of athletics and activities like that. Um, another thing I love about the book is the mother daughter relationship, because I mean, this must have been pretty tough to write. There's, you know, I I obviously don't want to give away spoilers about the book because I want everyone to go read it. But um, the mom is struggling quite a bit. And you really show how her struggles impact Sarah in really major ways. But they also have this kind of beautiful relationship. Like they have these things they can really bond over. Like they love the same kind of murder mysteries. And there is a closeness to their relationship as well as this distance that's happened around food and body. And I thought that was so beautifully done because I think so often... In the way we talk about eating disorders culturally, there's a lot of mom blaming. Um, And in the way they're often portrayed in fiction and movies or books or whatever, you know, there's like the sort of like not really examined evil mother figure comes up a lot. And so I loved that you steered so deliberately away from that. Um And, yeah, I wanted to hear a little bit about your thinking there. You know, was that a conscious choice? Did you have to sort of resist the urge to make her the bad guy? Or how did you think about developing their relationship?
1: Um I'm so glad that this is not a video I should say, because like, you just made me cry and everything you said. Um, oh I, I'm just like totally tearing up. Cause I think you said that so perfectly. I think there's so much mom blaming. And I think there's so much um, sort of black and white thinking around mother daughter mm-hmm. relationships that like we have a good relationship or we have a bad relationship. And I think mother daughter relationships are really complicated and especially for a character like Sarah and her mother, I really intentionally wanted her not to be the bad guy. And I wanted the reader to understand that she might be making bad choices as Mm -hmm. a parent, Mm -hmm. but those bad choices are because she's also a victim of diet culture. She's a victim of her own experience. Um, And, you know, and, and, and a victim of the time of sort of growing up in a time where, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, as easy to go to therapy. It mm-hmm. was not as acceptable to talk about your feelings. And so those feelings got buried. And, and I think that that's even now um, when, you know, both mothers and daughters can have access, I think there's, there are places, there are families, there are communities where it's less um, it's less accepted. And I think that's always, I hope that's not always going to be the case, mm-hmm. but I think for a long time it probably will be the case. And so when you have a parent who has complicated feelings that aren't being addressed, those feelings are going to come out in their relationship. And -hmm. that's where the relationship gets complicated and messy, but it doesn't mean that it's not an amazingly close relationship. Like you just said, Um, you can be an incredible parent and also be somebody who has struggled with something in your life that makes that piece of your relationship really hard. And I think we sort of have to get rid of the black and white thinking around parenting because it's just Mm -hmm. not, you know, we even in our i think in our own sort of self talk and I'm, I'm a parent now so i can say like i'm like i was such a bad mom today and i mm-hmm. have to I, I have to consciously be like no i was challenged today yes. and this is how i managed it and it wasn't my favorite day that i ever had parenting and i'm going to try <laughs> to do better tomorrow um and even cutting that black and white thinking in the way that we talk to ourselves as parents and as kids like just rethinking it and reframing it for ourselves so that we can really see it for what it is, which is that you can be an incredible parent and have a real deficit in one area, a real blind spot. Um, And there's also room to always change and grow. And that's one of the things, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's one of the sort of open pieces of the book that I wanted to keep in place is that, you know, some things are resolved and some things aren't and yep. the door I think is left open. And that's one of the special things about middle grade is um you can give hope without, You know, resolving everything and putting a bow on it.
0: Yes, Um, yes. yes. And
1: you can always work on it. You know.
0: Yeah, and the closeness that they have in these other ways. You know, like I think um, you know because this question comes up all the time with my my listeners, my readers. You know, how do I talk to my own mom about this? Or you know, like like am I a bad parent because I'm struggling and. It's like this other closeness that you have, bonding over murder mysteries or whatever this is, like that can be the foundation of a lot mm-hmm. of healing in this area if the person is in a position to do the work and not everybody is, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. It's not everyone, as you're saying, has the resources, is in a culture that's going to be encouraging of that. Um so, yeah, so it can be both a really complicated thing because it's like, how can you love this parent so much when they are also doing things that are harmful um to themselves and to you? But it can also be a really cathartic, like, beautiful opportunity for growth. So, yeah, yeah. I think you just, you know, you pack so much nuance into into their interactions. And, yeah, it was very powerful to read and yeah. I have a feeling for a lot of parents reading it, it will be, you know, at times painful, but also, like, there's something powerful about seeing that struggle play out that way so yeah thank you I hope
1: it's a conversation starter for parents and kids mm-hmm. and even teachers and kids I mean I think there's real space in the classroom to talk about this and say you know you know how, how can we listen to each other better how yes. can we respond more thoughtfully to each other I mean it's one of the things that you know what you just said about like a parent might not be willing to work on it and do the work, but are they willing to listen to your feedback mm-hmm. and can they do some of the work? Maybe mm-hmm. it's not for themselves, but can they do that for you? Um And so I think there's like, it's, it's, a, it's more complicated than just like, yes, they can heal themselves because not everybody is in a place to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but if yeah. they can give yeah. you the space you need and the safety you need, then that can often um can really help.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, another thing I thought about a lot as reading while I was reading the book is because it's something I struggle with a lot in my own reporting when I write about eating disorders and disordered eating is the level of detail to include or not include. And it felt like you had probably made some very thoughtful choices about, you know, you have to, you have to tell a good story, number one, and you have to bring the reader into the experience, but, you know, my first job out of college was at Seventeen Magazine, and whenever we reported on eating disorders, I was like, are we just teaching these kids how to have eating disorders, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we're including way too much detail about, like, the vomit and, you know, all those sort of things. Um but it's But as I've kind of continued to work in this area, you know, number one, I'm more thoughtful than I was, I think, at that point in my career, but also I also think there's a reality in which, like, kids who are struggling with this need to feel seen, and that can mean seeing descriptions of behaviors or thought patterns that, you know, may be quote unquote triggering, but also may be like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one with that thought, or I'm not the only one who wants to, you know, who's doing that behavior. So how do you think about that issue? Because I'm sure you sort of also struggle with this question.
1: I think this was the hardest part of writing this book and the thing I wrestled with the most. Um, I thought a lot about So as a middle grade author, one of the things I always think about is how am I keeping all my readers safe? Mm. So, you know... That means the reader who has never interacted with this, the reader who is struggling with an eating disorder, the reader who, um, is struggling with constant being bullied because of fat phobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think about everybody in the room and also let that go at some point to write the story. Right. Um, but then when I go back and revise, they're often on my mind, um, in the language that I choose in, um, in, you know, the detail, especially in this book, the detail, mm-hmm. um, that That was given, um I wrote this book many times um in the first version, there were more details there um Sarah's size was more clear mm-hmm. um, and as I revised, I really started to get rid of that because mm. it, I realized it was only hurting the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know from some indicators that Sarah's a straight size person, so right. um you know the fashion term, so um we know that because she's. She doesn't consider things like her chair and mm-hmm. her uniform. There's mm-hmm. there's no question about sizing for her uniform. There's certain other, there's other things that would come up if um if that weren't the case, but but other than that, I really tried to eliminate all those um those pieces because I didn't want readers walking in comparing themselves to Sarah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. That was really, I think that, really smart.
1: That's something that I really struggled with and have always struggled with. Like, am I am I as sick as this person? Am I as, you know, that sort of comparison Mm -hmm. really at at the sort of the lowest points was really Mm -hmm. hard for me. Um, And so I wanted to make sure that I know that that can be a struggle for a lot of people. So I wanted to keep those readers safe. Um, And there's no scale in the book, um, which, you know, is also another, another choice. And I could Mm -hmm. have made a different choice. I tried to make a different choice at some Mm -hmm. point and it Mm -hmm. just, Every every choice that sort of felt like the thing you think of as a stereotype when you think of an eating disorder book or movie, I ended up getting rid of because it didn't serve the story. And truly it's it's not the story I wanted to tell. This is a story about somebody who doesn't value themselves and who has learned to value herself based on outward things, based on her success at basketball, based on the way that she looks. Um, and I wanted her to be able to recognize that and say, you know, I really need to value myself based on on myself, mm-hmm. on, on who I really am.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that for me has actually been the biggest struggle that in, in sort of in overcoming all of, all of my, um, many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but in particular self, I mean, self-worth has been the thing. And I think it's, it's at the root of a lot of eating disorders is this like, does society value me? Does my job value me? Yeah. Does my house value me? Do, do you know, my friends value, like, how, how do I fit into the world? And, and the truth is it's, it's, it's really, how do you value you mm-hmm. that matters most? Um, and it took me a long time to really understand that and to yeah. really
0: that. Yeah, and you're completely right. If you had included the sort of more cliché descriptions of like her getting on a scale and tracking numbers and that kind of thing that wouldn't have helped tell that story. That would have just been sort of the more like Lifetime movie version of 17 Magazine article (laughs) version of this story That that isn't particularly helpful because it doesn't encourage readers to take these questions deeper. It doesn't help kids think beyond the behaviors about the underlying struggle, which I think Taking Up Space does so well because, you know, you do have people, other people in her life, the coach, and, you know, various other people who are able to kind of reframe things for her and help her understand these larger questions. And, you know, that's really effectively done. And yeah, I think contributes to that sense of safety that you're talking about as well for readers.
1: The other thing I just, um, I thought of when you were, when you were sharing that is that I really wanted the reader who had no experience with this, the person who maybe thinks like, well, why don't they just eat? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, like, why can't you just like sit down and eat a piece of pizza? Like, what's the, why, what's the big deal? I don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to really be able to understand and to really yes. be able to empathize. So on the one hand, I wanted readers who, especially right now, I mean, in a, in a, in the middle of a pandemic when I think a lot of kids, I mean, I, I taught over the course of the pandemic virtually and I met with a lot of middle school kids who, who, you know, felt that whatever their, their pain, their mourning, their loss that they were experiencing because it wasn't, as big as other people's that it didn't count. Mm -hmm. And um, so they really talked down their pain and dismissed Mm -hmm. their own Mm -hmm. pain and and sort of, you know, made themselves feel bad for feeling bad when really like everybody's pain counts and there's a spectrum of pain and you're allowed to and deserve support wherever you are. And I think that's something that took me a really long time to understand um, that, you know, somebody can have it worse and I can also still need help.
0: Yes, yes. That Um, is, that is a tricky spot for sure. Yeah. And it's, and, and I can also be grateful for
1: everything I have. Like you can be so thankful for the things that are going well and Mm -hmm. also feel a lot of pain and be struggling in big ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think as an adults, we, like there's this tendency for adults to be like, it'll get better. It's going to be fine. This isn't that big of a deal. But if some, if a kid is telling you this is a big deal, that they feel something, it's a big deal.
0: Mm -hmm. and it doesn't Mm -hmm.
1: feel like it's going to get better and help.
0: yeah absolutely you
1: know even if we don't think that they need help they they sometimes do and they need to know that and that's so that's what i that's one of the things i hope readers get out of taking up space is a sense of you know empathy for other people and kindness for themselves
0: yeah and you know another thing i'm realizing that i think is so effective about the book is because you didn't focus in the sort of traditional ways on her weight um you were able to show that this struggle really isn't about like, are you losing a lot of weight or, you know, like, is your body changing? It really is this internal struggle. And I think that's so important because, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about often we feel like we're not as sick as someone else, you know, one of the main ways that plays out is when an eating disorder doesn't result in this sort of extreme weight loss that we expect. Yes. And of course, that's like the majority of eating disorders don't do that. Yes, yes. And so all these people's struggles get kind of swept under because you don't look like the cliched, you know, super emaciated person. So I loved that you showed that, you know, and you showed too that like the sort of tinkering with disordered eating can have like pretty immediate effects on someone's ability to function and, you know, how they're feeling moving through their day and all of that, just like that felt really powerful. For kids to read, you know, both either if they're going to see themselves in it or if this is a newer concept, concept to them to sort of understand that the stakes are quite high even when you're just kind of like in the quote early stages of something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I know you said your daughter is almost four. I was curious. Um, I don't know when, exactly when you wrote this because books always take forever to come out. Um, but did becoming a mom kind of change? how and this isn't you know, I hate as a fellow mom who's a writer, I hate when we get reduced to being mom writers. I'm not trying to do that. But because you write for kids and you write about these issues, I'm just curious if your sort of relationship to the work or to this book has changed now that you are a mom of a of a daughter who, you know, may someday be dealing with some aspects of this.
1: So interesting. Um I so I, I wrote this book, as I said, when I was I started writing it when I was pregnant with my daughter. And um I think I was really thinking a lot about um, home and what it means to be a parent and what it means to sort of create a sense of home. And I do so much home creation in mm-hmm. my storytelling mm-hmm. um, because for, for, you know, eight to 14 year olds, home is really like the center, even though friends are slowly becoming the center. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's where you come back to for safety. And I wanted, I, I thought a lot about like, what does it mean to have a home that's safe? Mm-hmm. um, emotionally and physically and a place where you could be, really be yourself. And so I've like given that a lot of thought in my parenting. And also it's, I think it's really impacted my writing, um, and changed it. I think it's made me see some of the things that were safe for me in my own home growing up that maybe mm. I wouldn't have considered before mm-hmm. as being safe. Um, it's made me sort of rethink things a little bit. And, um, and made me realize some things that, you know, maybe I hadn't seen as being problematic. Um, and I'm working on a, I'm working on a mystery. It's very mysterious, um, Mm -hmm. right now. And, and the, the character's sense of home and sense of self is a major part of the story. Um, and so I've been thinking about it a lot and it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's really the way that, sort of my daughter interacts with me has changed the way that, because now I'm seeing it from the other perspective. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not yeah. writing, I'm
1: not writing from the adult perspective, interacting with kids, but now I am living the adult perspective, interacting with kids. And even though Juliet is younger, um, I'm still sort of imagining and thinking a lot about how this will play out. Um, you know, the three major years really showed me A lot about what I'm in
0: for. (laughs) Yes, that is, that is a real phase for sure. Um, having done it twice, uh, definitely is a phase and gives you a sense of, yes, what, what dynamics, I do think there's something to like the dynamics you're dealing with now will be the dynamics, you know, of course kids change so much, but there's, there's certain through lines for sure. Um, and
1: there are certain things that I find that like will be a pain point for me. I'll like feel the pain point as a parent and be like, oh, I need help. Like, I can't do this on my own. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: and, and sort of like seeing that from the other side is really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I I was just thinking, I think it also, you know, with the mom character, like we talked about, like she has such a richness to her and, you know, I think your, you know, experience being on the other side, maybe helped inform that too. Cause, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes left out of you know, and it's understandable because kids don't see us as fully formed people, nor should they have to. Um, totally. but, um, But I think it's great for them to read books where the parents are flawed and struggling and like fully formed people. Cause you know, that's, that's useful for them to start to experience. So
1: Definitely. that's. I mean, that's a big part of my writing process is um, is really thinking about each character as having their own arc mm. and writing a little bit from each of the, like just, you know, sort of journaling from their perspective so that they feel like fully formed people. So they're not, So I understand where they start at the beginning of the book and where Mm -hmm. they end at the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. and how they get there. It's not just the main character. Um, and the adults are always the hardest. Yeah. Which which makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Um, well a question I always love to ask fellow writers is where do you do your writing? And, yeah. Tell me a little, like, do you have a workspace? What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? If you don't love it, um, <laughs> um, I love hearing about where people write.
1: Um So I write, I live um, in Brooklyn and I have an office in, in my home here. Um, I love it because it's my own space and I can close the door and shut everybody out and it's quiet. Yes, um, part. And I, I really need that. I really need the, I really need the quiet. Although I do like to draft um, at a coffee shop. Um, so I have missed that a lot during the pandemic, mm. sort of like hearing other people typing. Mm-hmm. Um there's like a YouTube channel where you can hear other people typing. Oh my gosh, um that's so I genius. Just <laughs> done a little bit of that, um, which is, you know, been it's been helpful. Um and the thing I dislike about my workspace is that it's, you know, I can see well, I like that I can see out into the front of the house, but also other people can see in. Ooh, so yeah. you know, there's a lot of like I get scared often because I'm sort of in another world when I'm writing and then, you know, the, the person delivering the UPS package will like knock on the window and wave <laughs> to me and I like go flying.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yes. I, um, my office is in a side where I can't see our door, which means I miss every UPS package, which is a oh, no. hassle. Um, but it is nice from that, uh, perspective of, yes, that I know what you mean, sort of being startled out of your, <laughs> out of your work. <laughs> Cause then it's so hard to get back to it too once you, Once you've broken the flow, yeah. Um, Well, you mentioned you're working on a new mystery. Anything else you're excited about right now? Whether it's a new writing project, something else new in your life. My kids started school today. That's what I'm excited about. Oh,
1: that is exciting. Oh God, it's Um, so
0: exciting. (laughs)
1: Yes, my daughter's out to start school next week, which is very exciting. Um, Yes, I am. I'm really excited about this book that I'm working on. It's sort of taken up um sort of like taking over my brain which is which is great um and it means that i'm really it's going to work and it's it's singing um like you, at first it's sort of like you're putting i always feel like i'm putting pieces together and i'm like trying to layer the onion back together mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: like i don't know it, it does it works or it doesn't work and it's working so and it's working in a way that i really wanted it to work
0: Oh, that's so um, satisfying. Yes. That's yes. Amazing. And I and I'm a
1: huge, like just like the characters in Taking Up Space, I'm a huge mystery fan. Um I'm sort of obsessed, actually. Um I've watched like every British mystery. Um and that's like the one thing about the pandemic is I've actually gotten to watch there were like a couple of old ones that were on my list that I got Ooh, to
0: know. Like which
1: ones? Like Vera. I had really wanted to get through that. Um
0: oh, I've never seen that. My mom loved it, I think.
1: Yeah, it's like there are like they're they're a little bit older, like um Foyle's War,
0: okay. um, which is
1: very long. It's like nine seasons long. I was able to get through that.
0: Well that's um, nice because you've got a lot yeah, I like I hate when something's only like two or three seasons. That's yeah. <laughs> so <I'm not>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so so it's like sort of a it's it's both exciting in in, you know, because I'm like loving the book, but also exciting because it this is a genre that has always interested me and you know the, those were the books that I read most growing up um and the books that sort of kept my attention so I'm this is keeping my attention
0: that's awesome uh, yeah, and will exciting. this be middle grade as well or are you doing an adult mystery
1: um no no I'm doing a it's, it's middle grade oh, cool. um cool. and I'm hopeful that it will be a series I'm trying to, to work Ooh. to figure out how to do that
0: yeah. Ooh, this is very exciting all right well <laughs> When you're ready to talk more about that, you'll have to come back and tell us all about it because Perfect. Yeah, that I sounds love to. awesome. Um, and yeah, tell listeners where we can find more of your work and follow everything you're doing.
1: Um, so my website is my name, A-L-Y-S-O-N, G-E-R-B-E-R dot com, Allison dot com. And I am basically everywhere at Allison Gerber. So on Instagram at Allison Gerber, on Twitter at Allison Gerber. Um, And you can find all my books also through the Scholastic website. Scholastic is my publisher.
0: Awesome. And I will link to all of that in the transcript. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation. I'm just so thrilled there are, you know, writers like you in the middle grade space doing these books because we really need more, you know, this is a question I'm asked a lot, like what can my kid be reading? And it's so great. There's finally, you know, more than just blubber to tell them about. So (laughs) thank you so much.
1: Totally. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: And thanks to all of you for listening to Burnt Toast. If you like this episode and you aren't yet subscribed, please do that. If you are a subscriber, thank you so much. Please consider sharing Burnt Toast on social media or forwarding this to a friend. Um, our transcripts and essays are edited and formatted by Jessica McKenzie, who writes the fantastic Substack Pinch of Dirt. Our logo is by Deanna Lowe, and I'm Virginia Soul Smith. You can find more of my work at virginiasoulsmith.com Or come say hi on Instagram or Twitter. I am at the underscore soulsmith. Thanks so much and talk to you soon.